From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals podcast. Jeff Bookbinder here, your host for this week, with my friend and colleague, Lawrence Gillum. Lawrence, uh, hope you enjoyed the weekend. Hope all of you did. Um, normally, I don't have a lot of exciting news to report on uh, these podcasts to start the week, but it was a pretty busy weekend in the Bookbinder household. So we had a um, birthday party for the wife, so hosted a bunch of people at our house on Friday, and then Saturday had a gymnastics competition. So uh, humble brag, I got to share, my daughter Emily won first place in the all-around competition. So very exciting week uh, for uh, the Bookbinder family. How about you, Lawrence? How was the, the weekend? It was it was a good weekend. Thanks for asking. Uh, the highlight of our weekend, at least from my perspective anyway, was the Bucks playoff victory last night. Of course. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday after the playoffs. Uh, a little unexpected, but I'll certainly take it. Uh, a little tired today, though, because of that, but uh, nonetheless pretty excited. Well, I'm a happy Chiefs fan, too. I should add that to the highlights of the weekend for me anyway. Not uh, not looking forward to going into Buffalo, but uh, should be a good game. Uh, so here uh, we'll look at these important disclosures first, and then we'll uh, get into our agenda for the week. We're recording this on Tuesday morning, January 16th, 2024. So a little later than we normally do with the uh, with the holiday on Monday. We're going to start by recapping what was a very good week for stocks and bonds uh, last week. We'll next uh, hear from Lawrence on the muni market, which actually is of, of great interest, I think, to people. Uh, we get a lot of questions from investors on munis, so looking forward to hearing from Lawrence on that. Uh, next, we'll talk about earnings season. It's been a little bit of a messy start, but it's so early with so few companies having reported that it's you know, probably not, not worth drawing conclusions just yet. So um, we'll preview the earnings season, talk about our weekly market commentary for this week, which was just posted on LPL.com right before we Start a recording, uh, and then finally preview the week ahead, which is a pretty quiet week. Retail sales and housing data, uh, not not really um, that top tier kind of data like we got last week with the um, with the inflation reports. So uh, let's start with a recap of last week. So we've got a lot of green on the screen, uh, so to speak, even though we haven't color coded this table. Uh, the S and P 500 was up about 1.9 percent. Uh, last week, we have um, leadership from the big tech names. So you see here in the um, the sector uh, section here, you know, tech up over almost 5% over the past week. Com services, which is where Alphabet and Meta are, was up about 3.5% last week. So that was really, I think, the, uh, the big story. Uh, but, um, you know, certainly... Uh, not all that went up. We had pretty good gains from consumer discretionary. We had some gains in industrials. We had some nice gains in um, consumer staples as well. So I guess it was somewhat uh, somewhat broad, but I think the big story maybe is big tech. Uh, and that's why you see such strong gains for growth over value. LPR research continues to favor uh, growth over value. You've got some really good earnings power going on right now. That'll be evident in earnings season, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, we like domestic over international, but you have to just take note of the strong gains in Japan year to date. Uh, the uh, the Nikkei here 
is up 7% year to date. You know, S&P is barely positive. So that's just a really, really strong start to the year for Japan, despite all the concerns about them tightening monetary policy at some point. Uh, so wanted to wanted to highlight uh, that standout performer. Um, so Lawrence, it was a good week for bonds too. Um, the the uh, two-year yield absolutely plummeted last week. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the action in the fixed income markets, at least on the rate side, has been in the front end of the Treasury yield curve, which we'll talk a little bit about, I'm sure, in just a second. But was a good week for fixed income in general last week. Uh, the aggregate bond index, which is the core bond index, almost up a percent. That was driven largely through the investment grade corporate index, as well as the mortgage-backed securities index outperforming kind of the, uh, call it the lower rated categories within the fixed income markets. Plus sectors performed okay uh, last week as well, high yield bonds up a percent. And then preferred securities, which is our preferred expression within the plus sectors, no pun intended there, up about 90 basis points or nearly a percent over the over the past uh, week, up nearly, or I'm sorry, up over 10% over the past three months. So preferred securities is an area that we, we continue to like. These are these hybrid securities that aren't really bonds. They aren't really equities, but they do offer uh, a pretty attractive yields and spreads currently. Uh, so we do have a slight allocation to preferreds, but by and large, our preference has been to remain uh, up in quality with an allocation to a lot of these core sectors. So treasuries, mortgages, investment-grade corporates, we have a, a slight preference to mortgage-backed securities, again, which have done pretty well to start the, the, uh, the well, at least over the last week, uh, over the last three months in in, in particular. Uh, uh, but, um, you know, where our view is that you're not getting paid to take on a lot of fixed income risk right now. So we aren't taking on a lot of fixed income risk right now. So we've been uh, up in quality and uh, so far so good. It's been a, it's, it's been a good start to the year for a lot of these higher quality fixed income sectors, which we would expect to continue on a go forward basis as well. Yeah, I think it's probably fair to say, Lawrence, you correct me if I'm wrong, after bonds had just that massive rally late last year, that maybe it makes sense to expect more muted returns, maybe a little bit of a, a bumpy ride this year. Is that fair? Yeah, certainly over the course of the first half of the year, there's going to be what called, you know, a little consolidation within the, the rates markets. Uh, spreads are those that additional compensation for owning riskier bonds. Spreads are really pretty tight, so valuations are pretty unattractive currently. Uh, so that'll take time to kind of work its way through the through the markets. And uh, yeah, I would yeah, I mean, I I would I would expect the first half of the year to kind of be, you know, blah, and that's a technical term. But the uh, maybe the rest of the the action taking place over the course of the of the back half of the year. Uh, when we could see yields start to, to fall from current levels. But um, yeah, the last two months of, of 2023 were, were pretty impressive. And that probably pulled forward some returns, at least into the from the, the, the first half of this year. Yeah, it, it seems like, you know, every year you try to make a 12-month forecast, people are wrong, right? <laughs> but, but at this point, I mean, we hope we're close. At this point, I actually would say I wouldn't be surprised if we get the same returns from the stock market as we get from the bond market. Right, maybe mid single digits, maybe a little bit better, uh, but uh, of course we've got uh, a long way to go. Uh, the um, you know the commodity side continues to be perplexing. Uh, you know, oil in the low seventies hasn't really responded to uh, the attacks in the Red Sea and all the disruptions to uh, shipping traffic there. So 
you know, that's a good thing. It it helps support consumer spending with low prices at the pump. Uh, but certainly we see some upside risks to oil prices if, um, you know, if that continues and as demand kind of, you know, catches up and maybe surpasses uh, supply in the months ahead. I uh, also want to point out on the dollar here, the bottom right-hand uh, corner of this uh, table, you see the dollar down 4% in the last three months. That really matters for earnings. So that actually is a reason to expect maybe a bit more upside to earnings in the fourth quarter than we might otherwise see. So um, here's the S&P 500 chart. Uh, our technical strategist, Adam Turnquist, tells us breadth continues to hold up quite well. Uh, so you see that in the bottom panel, we've got 83% of S&P 500 companies above their 50-day uh, moving average, which is still a pretty good number, 75% above the 200-day moving average. So, you know, breadth is weakened just a bit, but it's still pretty strong, uh, and that's uh, encouraging. Uh, we also have uh, an S&P 500 only 13 points away from an all-time high. So we'll watch that closely. We're not probably not going to get there today, uh, Tuesday. Stocks are down a little bit uh, this morning. But um, you know, certainly we would not be surprised if at some point in the next several weeks, uh, we actually close at a new uh, record high. Our target for year end is at the high end, 49.50. So that gives us you know a little bit of upside from here. Not, not a ton, but if rates cooperate, we think maybe we can do a little bit better. Of course, that assumes that we get, you know, decent amount of earnings growth and something resembling a soft landing, which is generally priced into markets uh, at this point. Uh, so Lawrence, here's the 10-year yield. I mean, here's that massive rally in bonds that I just alluded to. It uh, looks like one of those um, sky slides at the amusement parks, you know, some of those are a little scary to get on. You're not sure if it's going to hold up, but uh, <laughs> that that's quite a steep drop. Then just a little bit of a bounce. So um, what do you think the path of the tenure is going to look like uh, this year? And, and uh, do you still have confidence in our forecast? Yeah, so I, I do still have confidence in our forecast. That big slide uh, that, that took place over the, over the uh, last couple of months in 2023, that was predicated on a pretty fairly aggressive rate cutting campaign out of the Federal Reserve. The markets are expecting at least six rate cuts over the course of this year. Our view is maybe the Fed cuts rates four times. Uh, so that would imply maybe a little backup in yields on, on the 10-year Treasury yield. Uh, our view is 375 to 425 to end the year. Uh, so we're right around 4% currently. So I think we're going to be in this trading range as, as we just talked about. Uh, this consolidation phase around four percent seems to be the level that uh, the market continues to trade around and 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 uh, hover around. So four percent is probably that that key level on a you know a near term basis. Uh, but if the Fed, I'm sorry, if, if the markets uh, have to reprice any sort of uh, Fed rate cuts, meaning if if the market uh, becomes more in line with what how we're thinking about rate cuts. We could see uh, the 10-year Treasury yield kind of hit up against that 425 level. Now that said, if the markets are right and the Fed does cut rates six times this year, it's likely we could see a 350 or even lower 10-year Treasury yield. Uh, but right now, the the yield curve is still pretty inverted. It's disinverted a lot over the over the course of the past couple of months. Uh, but two-year Treasury yields are out yielding 10-year Treasury yields by about 
uh, 17 basis points or about 0.17%. So until that normalizes, the 10-year the Treasury yield is probably in this trading range uh, for the foreseeable future. But it uh, doesn't matter for fixed income. I mean, it matters for fixed income investors. But remember, uh, fixed income investors get paid to wait. You get uh, coupon payments and you get these uh, natural price appreciations since a lot of these bonds are trading at deep discounts to par. So even if yields don't do anything over the course of this year, they stay in this trading range. We're looking at, uh, to your point earlier, we're looking at kind of mid to high single digit returns out of fixed income. If yields do fall back uh, down closer to that 350 range, it's conceivable that uh, high quality fixed income can generate low double digit returns this year. So uh, still pretty optimistic about fixed income for sure this year. Yeah, and certainly those return expectations are consistent with our recommended asset allocation, uh, tactically pretty close to neutral on, on stocks and bonds. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you a hot take here, Lawrence, and you, you tell me if, if this is crazy. Uh, so many people expect four rate cuts or less this year, right? You hear them you know, all day long on, on the financial news um, uh, stations. You see it in you know, articles in you know, CNBC, Bloomberg, everywhere you look. Nobody's really predicting six rate cuts. So my view here is that if we get... If we get three or maybe four and the economy just muddles through, that's basically consensus, which tells me that the market shouldn't be too volatile. The bond market shouldn't be too volatile uh, if we get if we get three cuts rather than, you know, a market that's disappointed and 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 throws a, a temper tantrum because we didn't get six. What do you think about that? Uh, I, well, I think I mean that big slope that that big uh, fall in yields that we that we saw towards the back end of of last year that was predicated on six cuts. Uh, so I I do think that if if we only get three or we do get get four cuts as we expect, um, I don't see us retesting five percent on the ten year treasury yield. I think the only way we get back into that five percent level or, or or slightly below that is if there's a resurgence of these inflationary pressures that that look to be somewhat under control uh, currently. Um, but if if we only get four or perhaps three, we could get um, you know 425 on the on the 10 year treasury yield. Uh, I don't think that we're going to see a violent spike higher uh, because the markets are expecting rate cuts. Now, if there are no cuts this year, which is not our base case, then we uh, perhaps see a, 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 a temper tantrum out of the, the bond market that we saw kind of like reminiscent to uh, 2013 where we saw yields spike higher. Uh, but I mean, to your point, a lot of the, the, the movement in the 10-year treasury yield has probably already taken place. Uh, it's really this, this consolidation phase, um, but we'll have to see what happens with the Fed and the, the, the data on a go-forward basis. Part of our um, somewhat constructive view on equities is based on our expectation that the bond market will be pretty calm. So, you know, if we do get three, four rate hikes, uh, rate cuts rather, that suggests maybe that we'll have a pretty calm um, bond market, even if yields uh, drift a little bit higher. Uh, so, uh, Lawrence, let's sh shift to munis. Uh, again, we get a lot of interest in, in munis. I mean, I think we'll probably get more interest next year when we get, when we de determine whether we're going to see tax cuts extended, right? The Trump tax cuts of 2016, I guess, or, or 2017, um, some of them are expiring uh, in 2025. So that'll probably put a lot of attention on the value of that, um, you know, the tax-friendly status on, on munis. But they're getting a lot of attention now. Um, so uh, why don't you walk us through your outlook here? Um, 
because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are are interested in, and and own some munis. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it is uh, an area that I I do agree that I think it's going to uh, the interest is going to pick up this year, uh, partially because of the solid returns that were generated last year. So if you think back to 2023, the broad muni uh, market index was up over 6.4 percent to for the for the year, which probably pulled forward some returns uh, on a go forward basis, but. Uh, we still think that there's value within the muni market. Taking a step back, the way we kind of look at markets here in uh, LPL research, we have a really a three-factor framework. We look at valuations, technicals, and fundamentals. The valuation story is an interesting one for the muni markets. So even despite the strong performance that we got last year out of the muni market, yields are still above longer term averages. So from a valuation perspective, we do think that there's, again, value within the the muni market. Uh, So uh, starting yields are about 3.3% on the the index, 5.5% on a tax equivalent basis. Uh, To your point earlier, Jeff, about the the, the tax favored status of munis, uh, when you do adjust for the the tax benefits, I mean, you're getting a 5.5% out of muni securities, which is Again, a, a pretty decent and attractive yield given the, the remaining uh, things we're going to talk about with, with fundamentals, and, fundamentals and technicals. So valuations are still pretty attractive, despite the fact that uh, we did see strong performance to end the year last year. Uh, the next slide, we do look at the fundamental backdrop for the, the muni market in general and aggregate. It's kind of hard to look at uh, you know a, a, a monastic class as diverse and is idiosyncratic as the muni market, but when we do look at things like tax collections from uh, these state and local entities, you're still looking at uh, tax revenues that are above pre-pandemic levels. We're probably past peak fundamentals, but we do think that uh, there's still a, a lot of cash on, on balance sheets. Uh, there's still a lot of rainy day funds that are available for a lot of these municipalities uh, in the event of a kind of an of an economic slowdown, and then you also still have strong labor and real estate markets that should help con- uh, continue to support these uh, these revenues. So, from a fundamental perspective, the the probability we would argue of any sort of credit event or any sort of um, you know default activity is pretty low. Uh, it's it's generally pretty low for munis in general. Uh, if you look at kind of default activity of munis versus say investment grade corporate issuers. Uh, you get a significantly better default rate out of munis than you do for, call it taxable corporate bonds. Uh, you know, Moody's is a, a rating agency that updated its default rate analysis recently, and uh, over the course of the the past, call it decade, from 2013 to 2022, the default rate for muni securities was just above zero. Uh, it was about 1.9 or 2 percent for taxable corporate bonds cumulatively. Uh, so. Th- it's even better on the high yield market. Um, you know, the high yield muni market default rate is around four percent cumulative, versus around thirty three percent for high yield corporate. So you have a, a a lot better credit profile out of the muni market than you do in some of these other taxable markets, uh, and combined with the the starting valuations in this market, uh, we do think that there's a pretty good opportunity for uh, a, a lot of these investors. And then finally, looking at the technical landscape, uh, the technicals within the fixed income mar- fixed income markets are a little different from kind of how we talk about technicals in the um, in the equity markets. 
when we talk about technicals, from my view, I mean, Adam does his thing for sure and has, and has his approach that is uh, is additive to our, our process for sure. Uh, but when I talk about technicals, it's usually supply-demand dynamics. And if you look at the supply-demand dynamics within the muni investors, this is likely going to hold the key to what uh, performance is going to look like in 2024. We've had a rash of outflows, which we're showing on the screen right here. Over the course of the past, call it year, year and a half, there was about $120 billion that's been taken out of the muni market on, a, on the mutual fund side, which is the you know, predominant investor in, in, in muni securities. About $120 billion that's been taken out of that market. That has put upward pressure on yields, downward pressure on prices. Uh, so that has not been supportive to, to markets. Uh, but given the returns that we saw out of the market last year, uh, I do expect that that supply de demand dynamic to, to shift a little bit. Supply the supply within the market is is still going to probably stay a little muted. So if we do get investment back into mutual funds, uh, we could get a, a, a pretty decent tailwind for for prices, uh, which would obviously help performance over the over the course of the, of, of this year. So bottom line is that. Uh, valuations are are still attractive. Fundamentals are are still strong, and uh, perhaps with this improving supply demand dynamic, you know, two thousand twenty four could be a, a, another good year for munis. Sounds like a pretty upbeat assessment. Uh, when you add the the tax benefit here, um, sounds to me like for taxable accounts, this should be a good good chunk of your. Um, Fixed income allocations. And and remember, I'm a fixed income guy, so I'm a, a glass half empty kind of guy all the time. So my enthusiasm for the asset class, I think, is uh, is, is pretty telling. No, notable. And although you're, you're purple team one, so maybe you're coming into this recording with a little uh, more uh, optimism, uh, we'll, we'll say. So um, thanks for that, Lawrence. Let's get into earnings season. Got a lot of attention late last week when the big banks reported. I think the best way to describe it is messy. They have these big charges to replenish the FDIC uh, bank insurance fund. You know, remember um, those assessments were effectively announced when um, when uh, Silicon Valley Bank failed last year and Signature Bank. So um, it, this is a really big chunk of earnings. So if you back um, if you back out those charges, it's about a two percent. Uh, bump to S&P 500 profits overall. So right now we're kind of tracking to flat. This chart shows 1.3%, which is before all those bank results uh, were um, uh, were factored in. So if we're flat, you add two points for the bank charges roughly, then add three points of upside, which is the typical amount of upside you get to five. So um, we'll say 5% is probably a reasonable target. Uh, for uh, earnings growth in the fourth quarter. You know, the reason maybe to be a little bit more optimistic than that is that the economy held up well. Actually, two reasons. The economy held up well in Q4. We're tracking the 2% GDP growth, and the dollar is weak, as I mentioned uh, earlier. So, um, you know, that says maybe we'll get, I don't know, a little more than 3% upside. Uh, probably not much, though, because the economic surprise indexes have deteriorated. So that suggests maybe analyst estimates at the start of the quarter were a touch too rosy, right? And then we also have a you know more of a services economy. The S and P 500 profits are more of a goods focused, um, you know, earnings 
and um, you know suggests that when you have less manufacturing activity and we're making less stuff, right? At least relative to services, that maybe earnings aren't quite uh, as strong. So that's um, you know you, you throw all that together, maybe it suggests the average amount of upside of three points is about what we'll get. Uh, probably more importantly is we're starting this upward trajectory. So we certainly don't think we're going to get double-digit earnings growth like this in Q4 of 2024. Consensus is now 19%. But we could see a ramp up uh, and maybe end the year with high single-digit earnings growth uh, when, when all is said and done. Uh, a big driver of earnings growth this quarter is going to be the uh, Magnificent Seven. Th these numbers are really remarkable. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you know many of you had already anticipated that these big tech names were going to be uh, a big driver of earnings. We know they're growing faster uh, than most companies. But I think you'll still find these numbers striking. The average, uh, if, if you collectively look at the MAG7, right, and we list them down here at the bottom, Alphabet, Amazon, uh, Apple, Meta, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Tesla. If you collectively look at earnings growth for Q4 for just those names, it's 46%. Look at the earnings growth for, th these are consensus estimates for Q4. Earnings growth for the other 493, negative seven. Okay, so uh, it's fair to say all of the earnings is gonna come from the big techs. So this is why we don't think that the big techs really have to roll over significantly. I mean, Apple shares have had a little bit of a bumpy start to the year, probably more for idiosyncratic reasons. but. Overall, we think the uh, the Mag Seven is well positioned to generate solid returns this year, and it makes us comfortable. This earnings growth outlook makes us comfortable, still overweighting uh, growth relative to value. Uh, also, note profit margin expectations this quarter are quite negative. So this is maybe a reason to expect a little more than that three points of upside that we typically get. The um, bottom-up analyst consensus is looking for a 110 basis point decline in net profit margins quarter over quarter. That would actually take margins down to levels we haven't seen since the pandemic, since late 2020. So that feels a little bit too pessimistic to us and maybe suggests that you know, efficient management of costs uh, can um, you know, enable companies to beat estimates at a, at a pretty solid clip. So maybe we'll get to 6% earnings instead of five. We'll see. Uh, last thing, you know, guidance always matters uh, more than, um, you know, the actual earnings results looking uh, backward. So we'll be watching estimates closely to see where they move as companies report. By the way, we only get 24 companies, I think, this court, um, this week. So it's going to be a pretty quiet week. It's really in two weeks, you know, right at the end of the month that we'll get the barrage of results, including uh, the start of the big tech results. Um, so um, in February, we'll be watching really closely to see what happens with estimates. They've been incredibly resilient for really the past year. Uh, 243 in S&P 500 earnings for 2024. Um, and um, you know the bottom up, so that's the bottom up consensus. So if you take every analyst's estimate, for each individual company, roll them all into one number. That's how you get to that $243 number. But if you ask strategists that look at the top down, like what I do, uh, you end up with 233. 
So I'd say that that 233 is really what the market's trading on more than the 243. It actually makes stocks look a little more expensive now. Uh, so the point here is don't get too alarmed if those estimates come down. They almost always come down about 90% of the time. And um, it's really that 233 or LPR Research's forecast of 235 that we want to maintain uh, uh, confidence in as we go through earnings season. So uh, so that's just a quick uh, view. Anything to add to that, Lawrence, before we get to the week ahead? No, but uh, to your point earlier about uh, the earnings season just starting and, and, and kicking off here, it's going to be, given the, which we'll talk about in a second, given the lack of the economic news, it's going to be a, a, a of interest for equity markets, as well as the fixed income markets. Remember, a lot of these, these companies issue bonds as well. And if, if uh, companies miss, not only do their stock prices uh, are impacted, their, their bond prices are generally impacted as well. So something we're, I'm paying attention to on the, on the fixed income side as well. I'm sure bond investors were paying close attention to the real estate impact, particularly office uh, real estate impact on those big banks last week. There was a little bit of a drag there. Sure. Uh, so um, good stuff, Lawrence. Uh, let's preview the week ahead. I mean, I, I just think this, I mean, you just mentioned it. it's kind of a slow week. I mean, retail sales are important. It's a you know a meaningful chunk of consumer spending. And we know consumer spending is about 70% of the economy. So retail sales really matters, uh, especially since it's the um, you know, the holiday shopping season. Uh, but you know, you're probably not going to see any big move off of the recent trends. And the recent trends have been that consumers continue to spend. So no reason uh, to expect uh, anything different in December. I guess the housing data is interesting. I mean, there's there's tight supply. So values are resilient, right? Home values. Uh, and you're not seeing a lot of turnover because of that low inventory. There's not a lot of activity in terms of uh, existing home sales. But we're actually seeing some building, you know, because, because inventory is tight. Um, you know, buyers who want new homes, in many cases, are just having to build them. So that's been a pretty good environment for home builders. A uh, pretty good environment for um, housing starts and building permits. So that that's this week, which maybe will be interesting. Anything else here, Lawrence, uh, uh, that you think people should be watching? One thing about the housing market, there could be some eventual relief in that market. Uh, obviously, uh, mortgage rates get priced off of things like the 10-year Treasury yield. So as the 10-year Treasury yield falls, mortgage rates come down too. So we could see some re refinancing activity. Right now, the refinancing market is, is effectively shut. No one's refinancing their mortgage. But as interest rates fall, you could see some uh, some of that activity pick up. And the only thing, other thing that, that I would add here is that uh, – there is Fed speak this week. Uh, there's not, Chair Powell is not speaking, but there's a uh, a number of other influential Fed speakers out there this week. So, if there's ever an opportunity for the Fed to push back on the number of uh, rate cuts that are getting priced into the market, this is the week to do so. So we'll see if they actually take advantage of that and and push back on those rate cuts. Otherwise, the market is going to do what it's going to do and and keep pricing in these rate cuts. Yeah, good point there. Um, I'll, I'll also watch the University of Michigan survey of consumer inflation expectations. That has been uh, a little bit market moving at times when it's been, you know, a big mover in either direction. So, you know, hopefully we'll see something three, maybe even a little bit lower uh, than three percent out of that out of that survey. But yeah, otherwise it's it's a pretty quiet week, and uh, markets will be uh, focused on earnings. There's certainly uh, politics to focus on. You know, uh, Trump 
runaway winner of the Iowa um, primary. We'll have to see what happens in the uh, New Hampshire primary next week. Um, you know, probably, I mean, it's it's clear that Trump is in, in a strong position, but we'll see what happens with second place. Um, Haley uh, seems to be the favorite heading into New Hampshire to at least be second, if not first. Uh, we'll have to see. In the past, we've seen, as I'm sure many of you know, some strange things happen between Iowa and New Hampshire. <laughs> in fact, little correlation between what you see in Iowa versus New Hampshire. So there'll be a lot of politics, certainly this week. And then the Taiwan elections over the weekend were interesting. I, I would I would say it was kind of status quo, where um, you know the pro-independence uh, party maintained the presidency, but not parliament. So it's kind of a gridlock status quo outcome where you're going to continue to see tension. Clearly, China uh, wants to, um, you know, effectively absorb Taiwan, uh, one China and all that, just like we saw with Hong Kong. At some point, that might result in military aggression. We'll have to wait and see. That is a very big geopolitical risk for 2024 and maybe 2025. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, but I guess at least for now, you could argue for markets, uh, gridlock is good. So I think that'll be something else you'll hear a lot of folks talk about um, this week uh, and is probably a, a key reason why uh, we think folks, well, it's definitely a key reason why we think people should be careful with emerging market equities in China or heavily tied to China. So um, I think those are really the key events to watch uh, for this week or maybe just digest for, frankly, for today. So um any closing remarks, uh, Lawrence, before we wrap? Uh, just go Bucks. Go Bucks. All right. I'll close with go Chiefs selfishly. We'll cheer on our football teams uh, with uh, our closing remarks. So, everybody, uh, thanks for joining. As always, uh, we greatly appreciate your support of LPL Market Signals. We'll be back with you next week. Uh, thanks so much, Lawrence, for uh, offering your insights uh, on the muni market and many other things. Uh, take everybody. Have a great short week, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Take care, everybody. This material was provided by LPL Financial. is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities.
entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.